Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. Tony Schiavone and my longtime close personal friend. Aubrey Edwards. Yes, I was talking about you. Close time personal friend? Yes. It's been like three months, dude. Well, there you go. It feels like forever. Aww. We like to thank our guests for shaving. Dean Malenko is with us. Dean, thanks for coming. Good to see you. How you been? I've been awesome, actually. I just shaved about five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my parents were Chia Pets. <laughs> Uh, Dean Malenko, as you know, and as I had said many times uh, during the 90s, the man of a thousand holes, one of the best technical wrestlers in the ring. Ever. Uh, ever. 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 Many times a champion in not only the WCW, but in ECW and WWF. Best technical wrestler in 96, 97, as voted on by Wrestling Observer. Just and now, one of the coaches in AEW. Yeah. Lucky me. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. No, I'm not. I'm not. Very fortunate. Yeah, it's been actually really great having you around. Yeah, well, it's been a lot of fun, you know. And uh, I had a 25, 30 year career, and you know, I used to get my highs having a good match in front of a lot of people. Now, uh, I just feel good watching some of these young talent, you know, achieve their goals. What's been your favorite part working with kind of the newer talent? It's catering. Yeah, catering is probably <laughs> my favorite favorite part. <laughs> you know, just, just watching, just you know, sitting back and watching these guys grow and see really good professionals. You, uh, 18 years, I, I can't believe this, 18 years backstage with, with WWE, that time goes by fast. Yeah, and, it does. Yeah, and then, so... Felt like 17, actually. <laughs> in, April, in April of 2019, uh, you, you left uh, and got an offer uh, to come to work here. Talk about that offer. Kind of, I thought it was just time to move on. You know, there's mm-hmm. a little birdie that sits on your shoulder and tells you, it's time to make the next move, it's time to move on, and... And I haven't looked back since. You know, I've had nothing but fun and some really good, really good group of guys here and working with Tony and Cody and everybody here in the in the office, so to speak. I've uh, been just marvelous to work with. Oh, thank you for saying that. And uh, oh, wait a minute, you met Tony Khan. I right, Tony Khan. You, you were Not talking you. about me. It's okay. never you. Now, uh, Chris Jericho first approached you, right, about coming into AEW? Uh, pr- pretty much. We, you know, we've been friends for years and uh, we, we talk on a regular basis. All right. When you first talked to Chris, what was your reaction about coming here? Some, well, you know, it's a startup company, so you get a little nervous. But at the same time, I like taking chances and taking risk. Right. Um, I did that when I left WCW with three other gentlemen with me that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Going over to WWF, WWE. It's always been a lot of fun. And I like, you know, anything that's new or exciting or something different to give me a challenge. Yeah. So talk about the challenge of working with this young talent because 
Dean, wrestling and the psychology has kind of changed a little bit. Yeah, it has, but I, I think the fundamentals and mechanics of it, the overall blueprint of what we've done for the last 40, 50 years, is, that hasn't changed. Just I think some of the outlook on some of the young guys and the wrestling fans have changed a little bit their expectations of a match and mm-hmm. what they want to see is all these crazy high-flying stuff, which is great, but just putting stuff at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm here for. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned from working with you is just the right place and the right time for various different things. And I'm extremely good looking. That, eh, that too. I wasn't going to say it, but if you want to put yourself over, I that's will. fine. <laughs> Nobody else puts me over, trust me. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about when, when you were growing up, and there's a lot to talk about there. You trained under your father, Boris Malenko. Uh, what was that like? Difficult with him on top of me like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I was, you know, I was a fan of my dad's. I looked up to my dad and somebody that I idolized. And I'm a little different from most of the guys in the business. I never was one of those guys that, you know, had to be in the business, ate, drank, and slept the business. Um, I wrestled amateur for a long time and was kind of like the next progression to keep doing the holds, so to speak. And um, just kind of fell into it a little bit. Wrestling can be a tough life. As we know, and he he grew up uh, in wrestling when it was you had to drive a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of territories, a mm-hmm. lot of different places. Did he ever mm-hmm. look at you and say, "I don't want this for you"? Not really. Um, you know, unfortunately, my dad died a little early, and back in 1994, he was 61 years old. So really, he never got to really got to see me at my peak mm-hmm. working for a major company as WCW, and then of course WWE, WWF. Yeah, I, I remember your dad. I, I you know you and I've talked about this. Your dad worked in the Mid Atlantic Territory. And I remember him and. 61, very, very young to pass away, but, uh, I mean, he instilled a lot of the work ethic in you. Yeah, and it's just, um, you know, having a dad and being a second-generation second wrestler, I really think gives me a little bit of an edge. Right. Mm-hmm. I had heard uh, that you had actually gotten death threats because your dad was such a good heel. Um, yeah, well, back, your family had. Well, back in the day before there was social media and everybody telling everybody what we're doing, mm-hmm. it was a very close-knit uh, group of guys. It was right. kind of like the mob. You know, nobody speaks, and if you do, you, you pay the price. Right. And I remember mornings of me and my brother waking up and walking out to the car, and the car would be on blocks, or there'd be some lady in the back seat. I don't know. I think that was my mom. I think she got scared of my dad. <laughs> um, but I, I remember changing our name on her mailbox several times during the month. Oh, my God. Um, rocks in the car. And, but back then, that was that was his applause. Right. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the heat that's generated. Right. That she, right. Yeah, sure. That's you're, how you know you're resonating with people. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. how you know you're over. Exactly. Absolutely. Sure. You just lose your tires constantly. Exactly. Yeah. So you are credited with training Brock Lesnar, Kane, Sean Waltman, Shelton Benjamin. Uh, did you see any natural talent in these guys when you first started training them? Some of those guys are wrong. Shelton and Brock did well. Had a little hand in that when they were down at OVW, I guess. Uh, more so Brock than Shelton at the time. It's great when you can sit back and watch the Sean Waltmans and the Canes and just know that I had a little bit to do and mostly my dad. A little to do of these guys' success in the business and, the, and and out there working and having good matches and instilling the philosophy, the psychology of what my dad what my dad did for so many years. Right. As a coach in AEW, you're given how many matches? A, a, forty five. Forty five matches. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for like a show on Dynamite, how many? How many uh, uh, you know, one or two. Ma- yeah, one or two matches, like everybody else. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Right. What do you think about the refereeing? Awesome. Terrible. You got this one girl ref. She's, she's uh pretty damn good yeah I'll be my nowhere yeah she's passable you actually used to ref didn't you yes I did 
I'm sorry. Uh, that's where you started, right? As a referee? Did you start as a referee? Actually, I started as an infant. <laughs> and I went through diapers with all nine yards. Uh-huh. Um, Eventually, you started counting. Well, I was 18, 19. I was training for Japan. And why WWF at the time was working in the Florida area, I'd get a call from Pat Patterson, who was booking at the time, mm-hmm. and give me a couple dates, dates, nuts, figs, everything. Um, working like... <laughs> Hey, I, I'm trying I, not to laugh. I, I like, get all I get all your jokes because yeah. I heard them all. I think Go ahead. I was working like West Palm Beach, Tampa area. Uh, in fact, there's the one that everybody can actually see me still on is the. I think it was a Saturday night main event. I was in Tampa at the Sundome USF, and I was uh, I was refereeing Randy Macho Man Savage with Elizabeth at the time against uh, uh, was the guy who used to eat the turnbuckles. Uh, George Animal Steel. George Animal Steel. Right. What's the guy who eats the turnbuckles? <laughs> you can't say that in any other job. I can say that. that was actually a, that was a uh, that was a nighttime uh, television show on NBC at the time. Right. It's pretty big for the company. Yeah, yeah. And that was my first real like kind of known as being wow. a ref. So that was, that was pretty cool. I got to go back and watch that now. Yeah, yeah. I had a full head of hair. Did you really? Yeah, I don't believe that. Six two, six two. That. Okay. <laughs> so you lost your hair. Yeah, right? Lost my hair. My. So how was it working as a referee back then? That was that back then. Saturday Night Main Event was some pretty good times for the WWE. It was a challenge. That was the eighties. You know, yeah, you right. Two really big guys that didn't listen. It's kind of like my kids, but just bigger. Right. Um, yeah, I got the referee uh, Hogan's match, Orndorff, Sheik, uh, Putzky, bunch of guys. So yeah. how does that work? Like back in the day, because I know nowadays with refing, a lot of guys just get thrown into it, or maybe wrestling didn't work out, and they'll throw on the stripes instead. Like. You said Pat Patterson just booked you for the show. Like, did you have any sort of training or? No, not It's a matter really. of like, we, um, we know you can kind of count, so you know, just I, put the shirt on. One good thing about refereeing is I have nothing but total respect for referees after doing that going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I know how hard it is to referee and to be the, the third person in the, in the match. And you can make or break a match being there at the right time. Oh, yeah. Or the wrong time, making the right call, making a judgment call. So I understood that. And, um, you know, having the wrestling school with my dad and training guys at the same time, we had guys that we also trained for refereeing. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I was always on top of stuff like that. Anyone surprised you here in AEW as far as how they've been able to adapt to the business? I mean, we've got we've got kids who are who are very. I say that because <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they're, kids. they're they're kids, yeah. you know, and and you, you gotta you gotta train them, and and they do a lot of work. In other words. I used to not see what what I'm seeing now before. You know what I'm right. saying? Guys in the ring working on their moves and going over everything. Does that make it tough for you as, as a as a coach? Are you? Mm, because not, back not. in the day, Dean, you didn't do that. You just worked a match in the ring, right? Yeah. It, it, again, it's a it's a different era, different different time we live in. Right. You, know, you got it's, it's it's about adapting. Right. You know, um, change is inevitable in, mm-hmm. in any business or any walk of life that you do, and that's part that's part of our industry. And, um, you know, I've, as much as sometimes I don't agree or have an opinion on putting a match together or how a match goes, right. also got to look at the other side, too, because of the, you know, people adapting to what's, what's good, what's bad now. But I'll tell you one thing, though, the future looks great in this company from the standpoint of we have a lot of young, up-and-coming talent. A lot of hungry guys. got a lot of potential. A lot of potential. Is there anyone in particular that stood out to you? The first guy sticks out to me, number one, I always mention this is Darby Allen. Oh, he's fantastic. He's just, um, you know, we always talk about the it factor. Mm-hmm. He's just got this thing that just makes him different, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that do flips and tumbling acts and dive through the ropes and all that. But just something about him that he does it different 
and he has his own stamp on it more than anybody else. Right. And uh, and he, he he understands the audience. He understands that part of the business. Mm-hmm. Right. Understands about getting himself over and doing anything he can. Right. To get your name out there and your face out there, and he's done a great job. And uh, I look forward for the future right. of his career for sure. One of the things I really think, like AEW being the company that it is, like not really having scripts and letting talent kind of just drive what they want going forward. I think this is a place where a guy like Darby can be really, really successful. Oh, for sure, for sure. Darby's the kind of guy you don't want to hold back. No, just let, give him a film crew, let him do some vignettes, and he's good to go. Right. And if, you know, if guys want to do stuff and it's something that maybe that we don't agree in as a whole for myself to Tony himself or, or Cody, then we just pull the guy back a little bit. It's easier to do that than try to force a guy to go out and try to get over. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Dean Malenko, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Dean being one of the best technical wrestlers in the ring. And we'll talk about how he, he got to ECW, WCW, and then to the WWE. Dean, we talked about you being a referee in the mid-'80s in the, in the WWF. Uh, you joined ECW uh, in 1994. Uh, talk about that. And Was it Paul Heyman that contacted you? Yeah, I was working at that time for uh, New Japan's office, and I got a call. I can't remember how the story went. So I can't remember how yesterday went half the time. Mm-hmm. I was subbing for Ted Petty's partner mm-hmm. and he was wearing a mask at the time um as some kind of dragon oh komodo dragon right it's the first and only time i've ever worn a mask in the ring oh well, there wrestled you go. that night against tom bork and who was a student of mine which was max moon original max moon and paul paul diamond was another name and pat tanaka pat, pat and me actually went to high school together in tampa just to give you a little throwback there um and Paul approached me about coming to work for ECW, and I said, well, I was working for New Japan, but you know, if I have time in between tours, you know, as long as you can work around that, then that's fine. And I got a little bit of a relationship going, and then he brought me in for a couple shows, and, and from there, I just kind of took off. I told him I wanted to bring Eddie and uh, Chris Benoit on, and they came in, and you know, that, that was that, and we kind of followed each other for the most of our careers. Yeah, because you guys eventually... I, I, I actually watched it last night, the match you and Eddie had the two out of three falls mm-hmm. first time I ever saw it great match but that was the last match you guys had at it was at WCW yes WCW. that was August WCW, yeah. August uh, I want to say August of 96 96 or 95 one of the two right. yeah yeah fantastic right. match both both shoulders on the mat you guys finish crowds right. go nuts a lot of fun you know Eddie uh, still to this day you know people ask me all the time who's my favorite and I always have to say Eddie yeah mm-hmm. uh, and I agree. Only, only for the fact that I think we I think we made each other. I think mm-hmm. we put each other on the map. Uh, it was after that and after the year that we were there and a series of 30-minute matches in five days that we just kind of really just, you know, kind of stamped our name out there. And that's where WCW kind of caught wind of, you know, these couple guys that mm-hmm. have been seen before that's working. Right. Paul Heyman. That's what. And then working a uh, New Japan show on a tour it was the first time I met Arn Anderson mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Austin, Mike Enos. They were all on the tour with us, and I th- that's when Arn went back and kind of talked to Eric about myself, Chris, and Eddie. And then you know that was it. We started with WCW, and then uh, WCW's cruiserweight division with you and Eddie and and Jericho, and it uh, it's really one of the things that that I think popped WCW back in the nineties. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think I think for two reasons. One, it was different. No one's ever done that before from, right. uh, from that magnitude. And the other thing that I think made it was it became a global thing. We were bringing top talent in from everywhere, mm-hmm. sure. from Europe, from Japan, from Mexico. So every every night you had, you know, it was Billy Kidman against uh, Juventud Guerrero, 
or it was you know myself against um El Dandy, whatever the case may be, Ray Mysterio, whatever two, yeah. right? mm-hmm. whatever two combinations that that worked, is that you never could tell who's who's going over, and that right. was that was part of the that was part of the excitement of it. It wasn't mm-hmm. you know two guys in the ring and you go, oh, I know who's winning, I know who's losing. You didn't know, you know. You, of course, you can guess or form your own opinion, but the way the matches were, it was you know just go out there and have fun, and and like I said, it was different to do do a different set of eyes that I've never seen these type of guys work before in mm-hmm. that style of work, right? You know. And uh, it was it was the, we would many times put one of the cruiserweight matches on first, like right. on pay per view. Right. And then I remember thinking, hot start. Yeah, I, I remember thinking, how in the hell do we follow this? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Did you guys think about that? You, oh, you say we, we wanted to we wanted to kick everybody's ass. Of and, course. Yeah. I remember me and uh, me and Ray had the first match I think for Halloween Havoc. Right. And it was like, okay, you know, that's part of the competition amongst talent and guys sure. in the locker room. Mm-hmm. They're like. Okay, we'll follow this. That's that's half the fun of our business. Yeah, is going out and trying to, you know, okay, these guys tore the house down. Well, how do we do better? And how do we, how are we different? Right. At that time, nobody ever seen anything like a Rey Mysterio. Right. Mm-hmm. So anytime he he went in the ring, there was a lot of a lot of eyes on him. He was very, you know, telling him what he did is the stories that he told in the ring and then the stuff that he's doing from an aerial standpoint was never seen or ever done like he did yeah. before. It's amazing he's still going, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Good burritos. He's, yeah. Burritos and, of course, if you, if you wear a mask, you never age. That's true. Right. That's true. You should have kept the mask on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> no, really, it's a, he's an amazing story because yes, he can still is. do all this crazy stuff yeah. years, years later, yeah. right? Well, he's, you know, you get, you get to a point in your career where you're so over, you don't have to do a lot of that stuff anymore. Right. You kind of pull back a little bit because your body's more important. Right, um, and I think he's learned to do that, and he's learned to do that well. But he hasn't, you know. To your point, he hasn't. He hasn't uh, dropped the beat. Right. You and ECW, I always thought was kind of a. I don't know. There was a lot of tables and chairs and violence, but you were. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my. But you were different. <laughs> you were different from that. I mean, well, again, I think that was that was the mass appeal. It's like WCW. We, you know, we were all different from what's ever been seen before in wrestling. And when myself and Eddie were there. It was it was wrestling matches in between a type A glass on your fist match mm-hmm. or whatever, and I think you know it's it's the old it's the old menu that has chicken, steak, and fish on it. So right. you're given different different things, different you know opportunities right. for guys. To Were you the chicken or the steak? I was a steak. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like a trifle. <laughs> yeah. Tough as a two dollar steak. But, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. For I much. was actually more the gefilte fish. <laughs> right. You. you <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to talk about you and Eddie because you had such a great chemistry. We're great friends. Talk about Fantastic, you, yeah. you guys putting together a match. Nope. Um, you know, when two guys are working together, there's there's that trust and there's that there's that chemistry. And the first time I ever wrestled Eddie was in 1995, 96, I think it was, in Japan in the tournament for the juniors, junior heavyweight tournament. And uh, both of our dads were in the business, brothers mm-hmm. were in the business. Mm-hmm. Right. We both had the same psychology and work ethic in the business so you guys clicked right away yeah and it was one of those things where you know from the first night we worked with together like wow just kind of sit back and that was fun right you know when work is fun when work is not work that's when it's at its best right when you're coming to work and it becomes a job my dad retired after 32 years in the business i asked him i retired and he said it wasn't fun anymore it became a job and i knew exactly what he was talking about Mm -hmm. right he said that years later um but going back to eddie eddie was just Eddie's the, Eddie's the total package. And I'm not talking about Lex Luger. Eddie's the total package. He could be a heel. 
as much as you Damn love him, yep. he's the same guy you want to kill him. Right. Yep. Vice versa. You right. Know, he's just he just loves the business, and it was just a lot of fun to work with him. Right. And you guys had a special relationship. Anything? Any stories you can tell us behind the scenes that between, between you guys? Because I do know, and, and I knew Eddie quite well, and I know you. You guys always came out and portrayed very serious guys in the ring, but behind the scenes, yeah. there's nothing serious about no, you guys at no. all. Oh, you don't you, say. No, you, you don't you say. Know, basically, to this basically if I can say this word, you, you're, you're really full of shit behind the scenes. Thank you, thank you okay. <laughs> and, and Eddie was like that, too. You guys were just always yeah. a lot of fun behind the scenes. Well, you know, the, 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 business, that, the business that we're talking about, the business that we're all in, is, is a hard business. Mm-hmm. You're on the road. You're on the road two, three hundred times a Times a year, I did that for 15, shit, almost 25 years, and it's a lot. It takes mm-hmm. a toll on you. Mm-hmm. So how do you cope with that is laughter and mm-hmm. just ribbing each other and just having fun and car rides and right. hotel rooms and just crazy antics. Nothing that hurts anybody, hurts anybody's feelings, but just had a lot of fun. You right. know, Eddie's, um, Eddie's, Eddie had a really fun personality and said a lot of other guys. Right. And it was just fun traveling down the road with these guys and telling stories and coming up with stories and... But it was time to go to work when the bell rang. Right. We we knew what it was right. about, you know. And to that point, I was um, Paul booked a show in time in Orlando, so Eddie was still living in Paso, and so he came in a couple of days earlier, stayed with me and my wife in Tampa, which is a little over an hour drive to Orlando. So we're sitting there watching a football game and having a couple of beers. And before I knew it, my wife walked down the stairs, which is funny because we had no stairs, uh, <laughs> and just trying to make the story bigger. Uh, because uh, <laughs> don't you guys have a show tonight in Orlando? I'm like, holy shit! Thirty minutes before the bell time. Oh my and god! An hour drive. Wow. Me and Eddie like scrambling, throwing our stuff in the car, and we're working against each other tonight, which, which probably is saving grace. And as so we you walk, talk about the match in the car. Yeah. Well, there. no, we never talked about the match. Oh, that's right. In the, yeah, we're in the car back in the day. We, talk, we were talking in the car, and then we get out of the car, and Paulie's like just steaming. Where in the hell you guys been? You guys are up next. So go get ready. And 20 minutes later, he came back out there and God, that was one of the best matches ever. Oh, my God. He forgot, he forgot all about that he was pissed off us because we were late. Right. But that, that, that's just the way you were. You know, right. we that's just, the way you do when yeah, you have chemistry. Yeah, when the bell rang, it's like the light goes on. And it's, right. It's time to go to work. Sure. No matter what you're doing prior to that. Right. We, we talked about the, and you mentioned that you saw yeah, the, two the two out of three, out of three falls match. the two match. out of three falls match. And, of course, that was the last one. When you take a look back at ECW and leaving and going to WCW, was that this a natural progression for you, or did you regret leaving ECW? Um, I didn't regret. I thought that was a nice stepping stone to give an opportunity for Eddie, myself, and Chris to kind of get recognized and get our names out there. I was a little tentative about the deal, more so Chris than anywhere. They didn't want to leave. They didn't trust it. It was one of the reasons why all three of us stayed in Japan for so long. We just didn't want to work in the States. We heard all the horror political stories. Sure. Mm, yeah, on, so we want to stay The back. business. Yeah, it was working, and it wasn't so much about the money. It was more... I bark up a tea than anything else. Well, I mean, right. it sounds like you're basically saying that, like, everyone really just enjoyed working. And yeah. the worry is that if you have too many politics, it's going to take away from that. Yeah, well, there's politics in Japan, but they, they're in their own locker room, and, they, and we don't understand what the hell they're talking about. Right, it makes sense. <laughs> anyway, so it's like, you're just saying some really bad things about you. Just smiling, going, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But uh, we had a work, uh, Tony would probably remember this, we had a working relationship with New Japan, with Masaseda that right. Sonny Ono was working with. Eric on, so that, that had about a year. So I called my Saito at the time, and he kind of said, don't worry about it, you're not going to get screwed because he's overlooking my work and Eddie and Chris at the time, and also Mike Rotundo and a guy by the name of Jeff Farmer was also part of that. It was a gimmicks thing at the time. So we had a little bit of a security blanket with Masa kind of being, 
okay. you know, watching our back. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that helped a lot to convince Eddie and Chris to come over with me. Right. I want to talk about your relationship with Chris Benoit because that's uh, you brought up his name a couple of times mm-hmm. and uh, another close relationship and another guy. If you go back and you think about the great wrestlers of the era, it's you, it's Eddie, it's Benoit, uh, it's Jericho. It's just uh, but obviously you guys uh, made made an impact on the business. Talk about your relationship with Chris. When I first met Chris in Japan, like I first missed, uh, met Eddie. Chris was working for Japan. I was working for Baba's company, which was all Japan at the time. We run into each other at the station once in a while, or just cross paths, uh, being in the same city. He was working as Pegasus Kid at the time, uh, working a lot with Thunder Liger, just recently retired. Mm-hmm. And um, Chris is one of those guys, like nobody else, that when the bell rings, it's pedal to the metal. Mm-hmm. There's probably, you know, people say, I'm serious. There's nobody that brings what Chris brings to a match sure. every single night he was right. always on. But he's also fun to, to get to laugh, too, because right. I would always try to try to break him as much as I could. Right. And he hated that. <laughs> right. Because he, well, he wasn't going to do it, and, and, and I was relentless about it. Right. Um, <laughs> there was a trust factor between Chris, myself, and Eddie. We were kind of like, Eddie would say, the original three amigos. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't have a contract with each other. We kind of had like a little bit of a handshake that wherever one went, the other two went. So it's not a coincidence that all three of us were working for New Japan, all three of us went to ECW. Mm-hmm. All three of us went to WCW, mm-hmm. and all three of us quit at the same time. Right. I went to WWE. Right. I mean, so, when you find something that works, why, why, why change it? Well, you know, it's the old strength in numbers. Right. You know, you've and, got you've got two guys built in looking out for you, and none of us were ever jealous about the other guy. You know, I was. If, if I remember the night that uh, Chris won the title in the Garden, and Eddie was out there, and I was in the back, and Chris came to the curtain. And, Gave me a hug and said, this is as much as yours as it is mine. That's wonderful. He the world title. And I was more proud of him than if it was myself in the match. So, you know, we had that kind of relationship between all three of us. A lot of respect. That's so great. You were part of the Four Horsemen. And, uh... Mm. (laughs) Thank you. Boy, did I go out to pasture quick. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, uh, Chris was part of the Four Horsemen. Talk about being a part of that, because that... When people think about great... Teams or great tandems, the horsemen come to mind, and yeah, I know. Uh, you, you, the reason why I did that was to spend more time with Chris and to be around Arn. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, it was kind of like when you know Stevie Michael's deal was he just wants to be a horseman, and if right. he's not a horseman, well, he ain't staying around. Right, he made his money in the NFL and still getting paid by the NFL his pension. Right, he, he was just wanted to have fun, but he wanted to be a horseman. Right, mm-hmm. and, you know, so which was better because I actually how that kind of started was you know kind of summoning Rick and. Arn to get this thing back together was was mostly a little bit of selfishness on my part because I actually had to work Stevie Michael in a single match. Mm-hmm. So it was after that that I said, I have a great idea. <laughs> Let's start the horseman and have Steve on our side. <laughs> and I'm a little safer with the tag than I am in right. an actual match. Right. So there was a method in my madness. Right. Uh, but I love Steve. Steve is a great guy. He was. Steve, uh, he just uh, you know, was. Steve uh, went to his own beat. And, oh, he sure did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I had some funny stuff on it. I forget the time he had a pair of slippers on. And Eric was saying something like that. And he threw the slipper at Eric and says, well, try walking in my shoes one day. <laughs> and um, But uh, he was a character. Yeah. And it was just fun. Just, you know, it's like hanging out with your buddies in high school. And it gave us an opportunity to kind of hang out with each other. And I've known Rick since I was 10 years old. And he loved that. And he was 11. No. Uh, <laughs> just being around just being around Aaron and you know, hanging out with Chris. We, we just we had a blast for the short time. <laughs> that existed and I was never ever looked at myself as 
trying to replace a Barry Wyndham or Tully Blanchard to me, and that was the, the greatest fraction of them all. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the, there's not, you can never beat the original, you know. We're talking to Dean Malenko. I want to talk a little bit about uh, leaving WCW and more about uh, him being with the Horsemen as well. Dean, we've been talking about the Horsemen. You were a member of the Horsemen in the ring when Ric Flair returned to WCW, which, and that was in Greenville, South Carolina. That was a pretty emotional moment. Yeah, it was. Talk about that. It was actually my idea to get everybody in the tux, only because uh, I can get mine paid for it. <laughs> that's not a bad right that's not a bad that plan. was a, it's a memorable moment i mean it, it was it was uh you know was, i remember just rick walking out and there was that what about like 15 20 minute applause for rick and oh my god it was it was one of those moments in the business where you always look back on and you'll never forget for sure right right and you said uh you wanted to be a part of the horseman because of arn anderson you and you and Arn have developed a close relationship working backstage with the WWE, too. Yeah, and I had a lot of respect for him. I kind of never really told this to him to his face, but he reminded me a lot of my dad for some reason. That's awesome. Um, watching, you know, in between my tours in Japan, I would watch, you know, the wrestling back home a little bit. I remember watching Arn just being one of my favorites right. when I was a kid. <laughs> you got to say that. Right. Um, <laughs> but then I got a chance to meet him and spend some time with him in Japan, and and he really liked our stuff, and that's when he went to Eric, and you know we became friends and stayed friends ever since. Yeah. And now you're both coaches at AEW. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crazy how the world works. Yeah. We just keep following each other. I know. Uh, yeah. And two, two very very funny guys, to say the least. Um, very least. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, talk. You you did have a chance to work with Ric Flair in WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the, that match and working with him. He's been known as one of the great wrestlers of all time, and you one of the great technical wrestlers. How was that match? Uh, it was a lot of fun. I think the first time we worked was in Colorado Springs, um, and it was you know it was a little intimidating. I don't care who you are. First right. time as a young guy. Not that I'm a young guy, but I was a young guy at the time. <clears throat> working with a guy like Ric Flair is a little intimidating, and you want to yeah. go and do your best and. Yeah, but I worked one of those guys, just old school type of guy that he goes out there and wrestles, and you know we've had plenty of conversations and talks about you know Rick being in the car with my dad at that time. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun and very memorable. And Rick is still to this day I look at him as a really good friend. Really, you're the one. I'm the one. I'm the only one. <laughs> you're the only one still likes him. <laughs> Rick, if you're listening, and I know you're not, uh, unless Wendy tell you, tells you to. We're just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> the, you're not the, wrong the, the famous and I say famous but it's famous with us backstage you Perry Saturn uh, Eddie and Benoit all left WCW together how did that develop and tell us walk us through that um, things started going south a little bit after NWO came the whole NWO thing came in and then with Nash and all kind of well Nash we kind of taken over there and uh, we had a conversation between us all. Can't remember if Eddie was in on the conversation or not. Uh, it's time to move on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the politics, right? It's politics. Yeah. Uh, for me, Eddie and Chris, we knew we had something to fall back on. Going back to work for Japan, right? Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. There's nobody that wanted us out there. But we also respected, and we knew what our um, um, limitations were, and we were very confident in our work and what we could bring to. Another organization, so it was the first. It was the night in Cincinnati. Chris was working with Sid, Sid, Sid Vicious, mm-hmm. and winning the title with of all the craziest things. Early in the day, we told them we were leaving, but they still wanted to give him the title. What? Still, yeah, still can't figure that out. Right, probably the craziest booking I ever heard. Right, um, and the other funny part of that story is as we were walking down the hall to go and was it Bill Banks? Mm-hmm. 
uh, who was kind of like the liaison or in between. Right. Uh, Eric running the company there at the time. Right. S- made a statement oh, a couple months back, if you don't want to be here, just tell me and you don't have to be here. So we kind of held it to him. Right. Uh, walked in and told me you didn't want to be there. Well, we walked in, Perry kind of grabbed him and threw him against the wall and said, remember that part where you said if we don't want to be here? Well, here's that part where we don't want to be here. <laughs> but as we were walking this this long walk, like chariots of fire kind of walk, all the way down the hallway to this guy's office, Eddie was running a little bit late and kind of walked in front of us with his bag. It was almost like a loser league town match. He was getting, getting ready for it. Where are you guys going? I go, we're going to quit. He goes, I'll just come with you. <laughs> like, you know, like he, he had no idea, but that again just goes to show you the trust he had that if, if you know if you guys we, are all leaving, he's going to leave too. He's going to leave too. Yeah. Right. Um, wow, that's so great. But the other part of that was uh, the conversation I had. It. I want to go back to the hotel and try to tell my wife, "Hun, I just walked down on about a half a million dollars guaranteed money. We're good. <laughs> hey, don't worry about it." Right. So you just, didn't have anything lined up. No. Wow. I just well, I knew it Ballsy. Head, that we could always go back to Japan. Right, exactly. Exactly. And you know, if Vince wanted, it's fine. If he didn't, no big deal. Right. How, how long did that take? Um, about two or three weeks after that, we started. That was the first night in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. We uh, jumped the rail. Right. The Billy, uh, Billy Gunn mm-hmm. was part of the match. Al Snow and Road Dog. Right. That was, that was the first night in the back in in the history of WCW rising and falling. That was a big moment for you guys to walk out. I think it's a big moment for any 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 um, wrestling organization for three four guys uh, top performers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, leaving all at once. Right, you know that was a huge deal, and Vince thought it was cool. Right, I'm sure. And I'm I, sure. He, yes. he, you know, made the money worth our while at the same time because he, he you know looked at it like. That's, that's takes a lot of balls to do what you guys did. Mm-hmm. You know, just walk out on a company, right? Guaranteed money. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was it was it was quite a thing to happen to WCW, and I remember from from that perspective, it, it happened. Uh, you know, the, the irony of the whole thing was, I got a lot of bad bad press to my friends, like you know, well, you had guaranteed money. Why would you leave this and that? And I said, well, I just trust my my gut instinct. Right. Mm-hmm. Almost a year to the day. Uh-huh. Vince bought WCW. Oh, uh-huh. wow. That could have been me lagging behind working. Right. And up in Cincinnati for like 50 grand a year. Right. So when you look back, I, the four of us looked like the four Einsteins. Right. Extremely intelligent guys that knew exactly what they were doing. You saw it coming and you skipped it. Right. Exactly. It right. was one of those ones where, you know, you, you listen to what your mind's telling you, you mm-hmm. just go with your gut. And, right. You know, I went with my gut. Right. It worked out. Do you still stay in touch with Perry at all? I haven't talked to Perry in a long time. Right. You know, he's kind of all over the place. You know, sure. Lose track. I right. try to talk to other friends that'll see him once in a while, but right. never really have yeah. kept up with him. Being so close to uh, to Eddie and, and Chris and the fact that they're no longer with us, there, that, that had to really hit deep with you both times. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember uh, being in uh, the Marriott Hotel downtown Minneapolis when Fit Finley was downstairs, and I said, uh, you want to walk over to the building? It was about three blocks at Target Center. I walked out of the building, and I walked right up to Fit, and I'm not fit for many years. And he didn't have to say anything. I just go, something's wrong. Mm. And he goes, Eddie passed last night. And I was just, I couldn't say anything. I was like just in shock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just total shock. Yeah, it's still 15, 16 years ago, and it's still sometimes fresh. Right, you know, right. he was such a uh, such a funny guy, such a great guy, and a very impactful person that was spent a lot of time in my life, my wife, my kids. Sure, 
You know? So many people in this business too have so many good stories about it. I know that when like we're working together backstage, right. especially in, like Chris's matches, mm-hmm. like you guys will just start talking about like, oh, well, Eddie did this thing, or this right. is the thing that used right. to happen with Eddie. Eddie was always, you know, we would fall into shit half the time in our matches. Like, how do we do that? I don't know, but let's try to do this next week. Or, right. Yeah. <laughs> One of our funniest stories, we were in Rochester, New York, and we, it was a live event, we were having a match, and we did something, and I fell on top of him, and he did some whirly bird or what around me, whatever. <laughs> we landed on the mat, and people were going crazy, and they're standing up, cheering. I go, Eddie, man, they really love that. And he's like, man, that was great. You know what we did? I go, I don't know. I go, but more important, there's a girl on the top row lifting his shirt up with no bra and that's why they're all going crazy so it wasn't us it was that now he got hot and tried to jump the rail because he was mad because she was taking our thunder <laughs> you know I, I get I that I get this girl with their top off hmm? or two guys in the ring hmm. yeah. hmm. wonder which one I'm going to pay attention to yeah, exactly. yeah. that was just one of those little funny tidbits right yeah, what's happened to us and then uh, of course everybody was shocked with, with Chris Benoit's death and, mm-hmm. and the fact that uh you know, it happened the way it happened, and, and I know that hit home with you, too, as well. Well, I lost two friends within a well, two-year time span. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Two, and not just friends. I mean, guys that, you know, at Eddie's funeral, I spoke, and I said that he was my road wife. Mm-hmm. You, you spent more time with him than you? Yeah. Anyone else in your family? Yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Eddie knew, you know, everything. Music I liked, clothes I liked, and what made me tick, same, vice versa with him and Chris. Right. You know, yeah. um, that, really, that, was, that was hard. Both for totally different reasons. You mm-hmm. know, um, Chris is just hard to wrap my my hands around it. My, Everybody, yeah. everybody, yeah, yeah everybody's like the same. Yeah. yeah, but it's you know, it's like part of me like I feel guilty sometimes because I miss him mm-hmm. and he's a great in ring performer. Mm-hmm. I feel guilty because for what he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. like maybe I shouldn't feel that way. Right, but there's I know in the back of my mind that. That wasn't the guy that I knew no. for 15 years. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a hard business. Yeah, yeah. It takes a toll on people. So so now we've kind of come full circle, and here you are. We talked about the start of being a part of AEW, and again, we're all uh, excited about the business again, and, yeah. and that's a great thing. Super yeah, fun. Yeah, it's a real great thing. Yeah. You know, at uh, 15, 59 years old, <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, <laughs> um, like being born again. You know, right. It's like, bunch of young hungry guys right and uh, everyone just anything, wants to learn yeah anything I can do to help these guys or further their careers and it's just a lot of fun and I and I think I have the respect by most of the guys in the locker room here and uh, a bunch of very talented kids who are I just look forward to the, what's going to happen in the future yeah and you and Arn and then Billy Gunn all of you backstage together makes it a lot of fun backstage yeah we got a really good group Super of guys fun. Yeah. you know all Super the way from, from Tony at the, the top of the thank you top of the, the other Tony the other one, the oh, other one. Tony Khan not yeah, you Tony the Khan. other one and then, then the other Tony at the bottom of the mountain. You know <laughs> that's you. That's that's you. It's not, you it's know not, where you are. It's not space mountain either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just, a story I tell many times is he would come out, Dean, he would, he would do this, you know. Yeah, yeah. Here he is, the ice man, the man of a thousand holes. I'm thinking about back. Bullshit. Shit. He only, he's he only he's Kenny Youngman hold. is what he is. He knows one hole 999 days. <laughs> just, he's the funniest guy I know. He really is. Absolutely. Well, it's a... Uh, it's it's fun having you backstage, and I think we're doing some great things. I, I do too. Yeah, I do too. I think uh, Tony has really gotten the respect out of all the young guys. Thank mm-hmm. you. The, the other, other one. Oh, Tony K. Tony K. Tony S. We can if you just say Mister Shivani, it will. When you're referring to me, it'll probably be better than just saying go ahead. That commentary guy, whatever. Okay. I think Tony is Starbucks dude. Tony's. I love working with the guy because he's. 
He's got so much passion. Yes, he he's does. He's one of the hungriest guys. He's like, well, what you see is what you get with Tony. Oh, right? yeah. yeah there's, oh, no, yeah. there's no sugarcoating him. There's no, there's no false um, advertisement about the guy. He's just what you see is what you get. Right. And he's, he's really good at making himself feel like he's part of the, the locker room. Right. And I think a lot of the guys really respect him. And, yeah. I really enjoy working for the guy. He's just a great dude. Yeah. Sure looking, looking back on your career as uh, a young man who grew up in wrestling and uh, worked in all three companies, pretty good career, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I've been, you know, I've been really, really lucky, really, really blessed to, you know, they say our business is about, uh, like working a match is timing, well, the business is about timing. And I've had impeccable timing, keeping my stay a little bit long, but be able to jump ship to somebody else. And that was the way it used to be back in the old days when there was, when there was territories. He's been through territory for a year or two, and mm-hmm. kind of ran out of ran out of stuff. You go somewhere else, and right. you just keep busy, and you right. know it's, it's like a launching pad for something else. Right. I've been real fortunate where I've never really had any downtime from the business. Yeah, thanks, Dean. You're welcome. Thank you. Good Thank talk you to you. So Five dollars and fifty four cents. <laughs> That's it. That's a, Sweet. That's uh, a steal. Reminder, subscribe to the AEW. <laughs> AEW I'm reading this. Don't laugh. I'm laughing Remind, at him, not you. Subscribe to the AEW Unrestricted Podcast for free wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget, AEW Dynamite each Wednesday at 8 o'clock, 7 Central, right? Right. I'm Tony Schiavone. I'm Aubrey Edwards. I'm Dean Malenko. Thanks for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Unrestricted.